0: This is Dan Figel, and you're listening to our special Saturday series called AI Futures. This 12 part series, airing every Saturday, is all about artificial intelligence governance. This is episode six. Hard to believe it's out already six weeks into this series here, but our interviewee this week is someone I'm excited to bring to the fore and introduce you to, Roman Yampolski. So Roman was actually first on the podcast some seven long years ago when I focused mostly on artificial general intelligence and more existential risks. Roman's been in this space for quite some time. He's currently an associate professor at the University of Louisville. He's also the director of their cybersecurity lab over there in their computer science department he's author of some 100 publications Uh, Many of them having to do with AI and security or artificial general intelligence and safety, what is often called the field of friendly AI or AI safety broadly. And Roman's one of the sort of old guard of this field. There's very few people outside of, you know, a a relatively small circle who, you know, some nine or 10 years back were really ardently thinking and publishing on these topics. And Roman is one of the rare few. He and I have been fortunate enough to stay in touch over the years after I interviewed him the first time. He's very engaging and exciting on social media, so I recommend you check him out there. He's also been kind enough to reference some of my essays on artificial general intelligence and governance in some of his archive papers. I'm not an academic, so it's always a pleasure to be used as a source, even though I'm far from an academic source myself. You can check out a lot of Roman's work just by going on Google. He's author of Artificial Superintelligence, A Futuristic Approach, a book published in 2015. You can find him on Archive, that's A-R-X-I-V, to find some of his AI papers, as well as Google Scholar. Again, someone I really respect in this space, a guy who I happen to like personally. He and I were together at the World Government Summit in Dubai. We were called upon for a a small event around AI governance last year, got to hang out in person, and I knew it would make sense to bring him onto this series because there's few people who have been thinking about it for longer than he has. In this episode, Roman talks about some of the futility of current AI governance efforts, even at a low level, like preventing email spam, never mind considering things around strong artificial intelligence. And Roman's main emphasis here is sort of being, if you will, a bit of a gadfly to efforts for governance writ large and really highlighting, in his opinion, the importance of further fleshing out some of the challenges, and maybe in some cases, impossibilities around understanding and properly governing artificial intelligence, and particularly strong artificial intelligence. So a bit of a unique take, and if you'll remember, those of you who've listened to the introductions to some of these past Saturday episodes, this series is going to go from near-term AI governance all the way down to long-term artificial intelligence consequences. By the time we get to our 12th episode, we're going to be talking about very, scary long-term future stuff. And this episode, I think, is a nice waypoint. Roman really kind of tees up the challenges on the road to stronger AI and tees up what, in his mind, is the importance of further understanding what that road is actually going to look like. So a really apt interview, an exciting interview, always a pleasure to talk with Roman. Without further ado, let's fly right into this AI Futures series with Roman Jampolsky. here on the AI and Business Podcast. So Roman, glad we're able to connect again. I, I know we're we're on the topic of AI governance. I want to start with the near term. You know, given the potential safety concerns, security concerns, capabilities of AI today, national, global, whatever, how do you believe AI should be governed now in twenty twenty? So let's start by defining some terms. Sure. What
1: is governance of AI versus AI ethics versus AI safety and yep. Based on what you put into that term, I can uh, give you a much better explanation.
0: Yeah, so governance in this case would be sort of in the the harder governance sense, not standards within an industry that we kind of hope people will append to, but but some degree of of law that would be accountable in a court of sorts. You know, whether it be equivalent to you know the laws of a state of a country, et cetera. So kind of kind of hard law. AI ethics, I think, is sort of just a discipline of where might this impact something ethically and, and often gets quite fuzzy. We're talking a little bit more firm here.
1: Right. So with governance of computer science, uh, we can look at some previous examples. There is some legal infrastructure for dealing with computer viruses, for dealing with spam emails. Do you think those are successful governance initiatives?
0: I have no idea. I, in part, have you on the program because you would know. You're the cybersecurity guy, so kick us off, my good sir.
1: So it seems like I'm still getting lots of spam. Viruses are still a problem. So while it feels good to pass a law saying viruses are illegal, it's pretty much useless. It may give you some uh, ability to prosecute cases against people, so punishment may be more likely, but in terms of actually preventing viruses, it does very little. It's a technology which uh, everyone has access to. Anyone with a laptop can just do it, and so, I'm not sure how much benefit you'll get out of regulating such technology at a government level, a UN level, if uh, individuals can engage in it, and uh, you have very little control in terms of what's going on, how do you verify it, how do you see if they actually follow the rules, even if there was such a framework, who is to say that the code you just wrote violates it or doesn't violate it, if we talk about. Weights for a neural network. So it's a very complicated issue and a lot of it is uh, virtue signaling, I think.
0: I would agree with you wholeheartedly there, and I've written to that theme at length um, and happen to be in the same camp as you in a wariness of that in and of itself, although I'm maybe not as completely pessimistic about the totality of what governance could be. But I'm interested in your take here. So I don't know enough about the history of computer science and sort of cyber law, cyber crime, what's you know the relative efficacy. I think your argument might be that Google's anti-spam algorithms have done much more for Anti-spam than some law about anti-spam, and that just innovation eats innovation, and you know needs just gobble needs, and some kind of ossified law that's trying to deal with something complicated like code is just going to be antiquated far too quickly. You know, other perspectives that we've had on the program. Um, if I think about an interview with a fellow at the IEEE around something like how children's data is used. So if a child is using an app or using a whatever, and of course, sometimes maybe we know it's a kid, sometimes maybe we don't. Maybe by the nature of the program itself, we can assume it is, maybe sometimes we don't. And so these are fuzzy topics, but that that maybe there should be some law that programmatic marketing, market messaging, market timing to children below age X, maybe particularly for products in categories X and Y, but, but maybe altogether should be illegal. And if we can find that companies through some kind of testing, uh, you know, maybe we pretend to be a young user and we see what the response is that that should potentially be punishable. This is less firm than like, "Hey, don't let AI get x powerful right it's It's less vague than that. it's a little bit more concrete. Is even that almost entirely vapid and meaningless in your opinion, or are there some places where it could fit?
1: No, no. For near-term AI, for things you just described, it makes a lot of sense. Okay. So this is not a major part of my research. This is something I trust other people to handle really well. So um, when I talk about AI governance, I'm thinking, you know, super intelligent machines and how yeah. we'll write rules for much less about uh, Face recognition ethics.
0: Got it. Yeah, and so we're we're kind of starting with the now, so that we can extend into the future. As you're already well aware, I happen to have a similar bent to you in terms of the time horizons I prefer to think about. But for the listeners here, I think the goal is to connect the dots to you know where we are and where we're going to be. You brought up facial recognition, so we'll just talk about it. This doesn't have to be most of our interview, but you know we can bring it up. You know, some folks are concerned. Okay, governments under X, Y, Z circumstances should not. Be able to identify people by face, so in in China, of course you know every telephone pole is wired up if you want to make a lot of money, just have a computer vision company and sell it to the Chinese government. Plenty of American firms have uh, followed that path to making a lot of money, but some folks have said, okay, well, in the United States we shouldn't be able to do that under X or y or Z and I haven't thought through facial recognition enough to have a firm stance on any of those, but do you believe that some of that is enforceable or that they'll make cameras so small they'll make whatever that that it doesn't matter or is that? near term and it could matter in your opinion?
1: This is near term and you can regulate that. You can say, okay, cities are not allowed to use this technology, federal government can. You can pass meaningful legislation for something like that. To me, it's always about how is this different from just a police officer in a corner? Can they do the same thing? Is this just scaling it up to larger amount of people being processed and if it is the same thing it's not a new concept we have existing laws about that we have laws about evidence search and seizure privacy so do we really need to come up with a whole set of rules for that specific problem
0: yeah so it may make sense to simply when possible anchor the intelligent systems to how we would manage the intelligent people and just say, look, if you're not allowed to do this under these circumstances, well, your machines aren't either, and simply extend it, and that that might help to, I guess, ensure the values and the the state of affairs that we want to live in as a society, or or that have at least been voted in, without necessarily having to come up with some algorithmic triple check thing that we have to sort of think through. There are
1: great examples, for example, uh, GPS tracking. So if a police officer Police in general can follow you around in public places and see where you're going. Can we use a GPS tracking device for the same? Is there a difference? And courts have been trying to figure out what to do, how to do it. But uh, it seems in a lot of cases, if we can just map it onto existing case law, it would be
0: a lot better off. So th- this is given the narrow, the relative narrowness of AI. Such sorts of mapping might be the shortest path, and maybe in your eyes, would just be the way to skin the cat at this point given the the relatively nominal concerns that we have for AI in the near term.
1: Right. So We're talking okay. about tools. Those are tools. Those are not agents. They don't make their own independent decisions who to spy on, who to track. It's literally an automation of some existing human function. So yeah, it's pretty reasonable to govern those.
0: Okay. So the general idea of connecting the dots to how present governance works around present technologies and people and extending that to very narrow AI systems, I actually think would be maybe would cover half of the ballgame of, of today's artificial intelligence concern. So I, I actually, you know, I I'm not a scholar in that domain, but I, I can I can get down with that idea. You're talking about, though, when systems become a little bit more powerful. And I think the curious thing to think about here is what that extension is going to be. My, my supposition before moving forward is that today, freeze time, you would say we shouldn't have any kind of global governance of AI. It's just an extension of national law because that's the level of concern that it sort of belongs in and that maybe even global wouldn't, wouldn't be efficacious in the first place. Is that a safe stance? It should just be in the states, in the countries, map it to existing law when you can. That's where AI is. We don't need anything more. Is that your present stance?
1: With existing technology, uh, we probably can get by with local regulations just because privacy standards are different in different regions. Maybe in one region, just seeing human face, especially a female face, is completely inappropriate, whereas in other regions, naked people running around is perfectly fine. So you have to have local uh, solutions matching local customs.
0: Well, we'll have to quote that particular part of the interview as the marketing material to bring people in to listen to the rest of it, but uh, but yes, yeah, so I see what you mean there. So stretching things forward a bit, of course, you've been thinking about superintelligence for quite some time. You know, we have had Stuart Russell on this series who has given thought to similar things. Some people put more and less emphasis on there, but let's let's think about maybe before we're at that level of capability. Those sort of interim steps where things start to creep from narrow AI to something a little bit more capable, where maybe we get systems that don't just say, okay, here's the likely propensity for or likelihood of crime in different regions, and we're going to predictively tell the police where to operate. All right, you know, maybe there's some existing thing we could map onto there. But to your point, maybe these systems start to pick up on relative risk ratios per person, right, to to a social security number, and they're generating what those security numbers are based on previous crimes, based on you know, relevant near-term activity based on whatever. And these things start to stretch and the lines are fuzzy, but they start to stretch into what feels like it's prompting us here. It's it's determining sort of what next best steps would be based on goals we've set. Will there be different ways locally or globally that we'll need to govern there? We're not talking superintelligence yet. that We're in this kind of interim step. What are your thoughts there?
1: So it's not an engineering problem. You're talking about fairness. And defining fairness is not something engineers should be doing. If you tell me I want 20% rate or 30% rate for employment, for arrests, for whatever you want, I can code it in. You have to decide what is fair. And this is where people disagree. Is it fair if it's equally proportionate? Is it fair if it's proportionate to the actual pattern we're interested in? That's where we're struggling. And it's the same with non-automated decisions. When human makes those decisions, half of our social sciences is all about computing figuring out what is fair in different situations.
0: Yeah, this is tough. And actually, you were at the World Government Summit in Dubai with me about a year back here, where we had some excellent interviews there as well. But I remember, I believe it was Daniel Kahneman was on stage, and he talked about, well, what if you know we found that in a particular kind of sales job, the pattern so shifted out where women almost ubiquitously performed better? And he was very honest about the fact that he used women as a less offensive example, which was hilarious because he just, you know, he was he was being straight up, which I appreciated. But he said, you know, what if that was the case? Is this a biased machine? Or is this detecting a pattern that, that might be meaningful? And now is it wrong for us to uh, attest to what this machine puts out? Because we, we happen to agree with exactly, we told it to do the math and it's done it. Do we want to now disagree with that? And now we could say that well, there was some previous cultural stuff that's been so wrong, and that's what's resulted in this near-term result. But like you said, that's not an engineer problem. Someone determines what that fairness is. Society has to come up with a consensus. So, so you think even in that middle ground, it's got to be people drawing the line of where these systems can be used. Uh, right, more,
1: and there yeah. are mathematical proofs. Basically, people showed that fairness is impossible. You can shift who gets uh, punished, who gets rewarded, you can shift who benefits the most, but there is not a universal fairness uh, doctrine for all cases. So it's impossible to satisfy all possible backgrounds and biases and criteria. So it cannot be solved algorithmically. It has to be a decision made by either democratic process or leadership, but that's the only way to get there.
0: Yeah. I, I think that ethics in general are so frustratingly fuzzy. and. I am also frustrated by when it is addressed in a way as if it is concrete, sort of like here here would be the right way, as if we can simply insert it and say, well, we should all be agreeing with this. Like ethics is clearly just some other level of abstraction whereby we vie for what we're looking for, that it it seems somewhat ridiculous to, to talk about it otherwise it wouldn't surprise me that there's some mathematical theorem to show that fairness isn't uh if there was such a theorem for virtue i suspect a similar result would would, uh, would come well, out the other end that said you know let's expand this a little bit more so we've got systems in policing that are guessing you know, maybe the system is never fed racial data, for example. And maybe we find some way to extrapolate out zip codes and, and race proclivities in zip codes so we kind of ferret that out. The people that are doing lending AI right now are already thinking about this. What are the proxies for race? That we also might need to exclude from algorithms, right? And so these are, you know, for folks that are thinking about fairness, these are perfectly valid things to consider seriously. But let's just say, you know, we do some of that. We're determining what social security codes might be responsible for this arson or this whatever, and then we extrapolate it elsewhere. Okay, we have businesses that are maybe able to kind of comb LinkedIn and find the right people to headhunt for a specific job based on some kind of, you know, algorithmic matching that historically has seemed to perform better than regular hr however we're measuring that and let's just say we have military systems where you know some submarines or some drones are sort of making their their tracking paths their monitoring paths based on satellite data and other data that they're kind of picking right they can notify headquarters but they might do another loop around the same island if they think that there there might be a higher likelihood of finding something here than there and so all the systems start to stretch and maybe do one level of reach one level of action kind of beyond where people are is this still a local governance United States France you know Dubai whatever is this still a local governance concern for the most part in your opinion so we don't have a
1: system of global governance there is we nothing we can utilize uh, the proposals which currently exist uh, for a nanny state where you have a global Dictatorship, sort of supervision of individuals, and AI technology is considered the golden standard for getting there. You have this 1984 Big Brother is watching every step type of system, and then yeah, you can enforce all sorts of things. Uh, Low crime can be produced as a result, limits on technological research. But uh, it it seems like there now, with this uh, pandemic, we're starting to see there are some negatives to big-scale government interventions.
0: Yeah. So when you talk about global nanny state sort of as an idea, obviously, it's a bit of a, a judgmental framing on it, but I'm not necessarily going to disagree with you. I'm not going to say it's, it's not an, it's not an outlandish statement. I mean, I think many people would agree with exactly what you're saying. But this idea of this, this global state, you had mentioned AI maybe being a part of it. Are there already people that are sort of purporting and forwarding that idea of such a state that might be managed by AI in some way to help reduce crime globally, et cetera, et cetera? Is there there a reference point here? There is philosophical work on
1: uh, specifically with existential risks. If we agree that certain technologies, for example, gain of function, uh, bioweapons, which we simply can't afford to have, then we need to have a system in place which uh, monitors everyone. Uh, it's becoming very easy even for individuals to develop biological weapons. Now you can play with uh, DNA, with uh, recent uh, technology, CRISPR, whatnot. So the only solution to avoid someone developing a virus which spreads like flu and kills like Ebola is uh, to monitor everyone. So yeah, people are discussing having total
0: surveillance. Hmm. So we might think about this as kind of a, enforced global transparency on some level you can call it uh, whatever you want yeah yeah by by whatever name by whatever name but this is this is what you're referring to so you're saying there's academic work in the existential risk world which is a world that you you know swim around in whereby such proposals are being made in all seriousness
1: They are described as one possible solution if you don't see any others. Uh, So the question is, would you rather have 8 billion people die or lose privacy? If that's the only two options, it becomes a very desirable option.
0: Yeah, yeah. So let me ask you this. Is there a threshold for AI capability whereby it would really make sense to have something close to global transparency. You might call it global removal of privacy. Uh, Hopefully, it's not all aspects of privacy. Maybe it would have to be, whatever the case may be. Let's just talk about global regulation, Where whether we want to frame it good or bad. Is there a point in AI's capability growth whereby we basically should have this if we don't want bad things to happen, in your opinion, or is it almost always just a bad idea? AI will get as powerful as it wants in different countries and go in whatever direction that country wants. That's as good as we can damn well hope for. What is your take? So there are two
1: points. One is how AI is being developed. Do we need a breakthrough? Do we need a new invention? Or is it just scaling of existing technologies at some point? Do we need more compute, bigger data sets, and we'll just progressively get smarter AIs? In that case, there is no point of no return. If I have this algorithm today, it's quite dumb, but just keep feeding it data and compute, and it's going to become smarter and smarter. So it's not obvious that there is a specific fire alarm for telling you, okay, we are hitting superintelligence in two weeks. It would be very hard to decide on something like that. And to have a nanny state which can actually meaningfully monitor 8 billion people in terms of what they do, you need uh, human-level intelligence, basically. So it's a catch-22. You need friendly AI to monitor for development of non-friendly AI.
0: Got it. I can see someone, I mean, uh, Drexler's proposal about how AI would develop in waves and these kind of discrete AI related services. One could imagine a network whereby relatively narrow AI could look at compute power usage, could look at, you know, computer activity, could look at, but again, to get there globally, to get the US and China on the same page, to get Russia on the same, I mean, it just feels like the political barriers might even be harder than the technical. I don't know if you would agree there. I agree, but also what is it you're
1: trying to accomplish? Are you trying to stop all research on AI? Are you trying to stop particular type of research? And if that is the case,
0: how is that defined? It's a very complicated issue. It is. My supposition is that global transparency would only make sense with some vision of global steering, not for all things, but for existentially relevant technologies. Um, In other words, steering would be, here are the things that are kosher. Here are the things that ain't. And sort of uh, these are the kinds of projects that are maybe we, we should be able to work on versus the ones we shouldn't. Now, of course, that's tough in biology and in computer science where you can build a really powerful AI to do X and then simply tweak some things. And now all of a sudden it's doing something bad. So so we would have to you know define that steering in a pretty dynamic, hard to manage world. But I think the global transparency would have to imply global steering to determine what you said. What is the purpose here? Is this just to stop? research from happening or is it to stop certain kinds of trajectories from unraveling outside of you know distinguished multinational government labs where we're trying to build this thing in a safe way i think that would be the supposition is your take you you brought up a great point we're not going to have a fire alarm hey we're 2 weeks away time to get together we're 2 years away we we won't know given that state of affairs should we just say, look, national is as good as it gets. Even after superintelligence, we have this catch-22 of monitoring. It's as good as it gets. It's going to get birthed when it gets birthed, and we'll have to respond to it when that happens. It's, that's one approach. The other approach is, well, it would be ideal if or it'd be, it'd be nice to work towards some level of, of, of that sort of transparency and know as a race, you know, humanity, where maybe we want to be headed, and then try to bake some of that in place as we chug forward to see if we could monitor that. Do you stand in the camp of let's just deal with it when it comes about because there is it's not realistic to build any of that global net?
1: So you, you kind of brought up the idea of dual-use technology, right? If we're just working on something very beneficial, let's say AI, it can easily be switched to be a malevolent system. So there is no separation, in my view, at least. If you have developed this level of intelligence, you can add any type of goals to it. Now, the question next is, what do we do with this information? We know it's happening. We know we're developing those systems. At the same time as of today, no one has a working safety mechanism in place, a control system which can scale to any level of intelligence. So now we have two facts. It's happening, and we can control it. Now, what do we do with it? And you're asking me to solve that problem.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, a perspective on it is really the, the, the name of the game for the, for the, the interviews. I wish I could solve problems with these interviews. I assure you my first couple problems solved would would have gotten me a Learjet, uh, but I can't do that in 45 minutes. I can only gather ideas. definitely don't have a
1: solution, yep. but I want lots of people to think about it and exactly in those terms, and especially developers of those algorithms. So you are trying to beat everyone, get there first, but let's say you succeed. What happens next? Do you have a plan for it? Are you ready? So I see people starting to write papers about how to split profits, then we succeed, how to make sure we fairly divide revenue from the stock when the company discovers super intelligence. It seems like they're missing some point.
0: Go on. Well, you, I, I think what you're hinting at here is open AI. It doesn't
1: matter which company. Yeah, it could be whatever company, right? It could be whatever. uh, At that moment, you should be worried about not being dead. Uh, Like, do you have a safety mechanism in place? Not how are you going to split the profits?
0: This is the very simplified version of this. I'm going to clarify a couple elements of your takeaway here as we wrap up. One of them is that, you know, people are thinking about when we reach AGI. By the way, still so... In my opinion, it's really not being thought about by many people at all. I think bias, fairness, et cetera, is, is the the whole name of the game for the conversation. And I don't even know if at OpenAI, outside of leadership, if everybody's really thinking about what happens when we birth superintelligence. Maybe everybody is. I don't really know. but But certainly... There aren't that many people at Microsoft, whoever made the investment in OpenAI, in my personal opinion, you don't play that game unless you think AGI is possible and that you could come out on top, right? You don't throw the money down. You just don't throw the money down. Just like Google buying DeepMind, you don't throw the money down unless whoever invested that money believes that AGI will be powerful, will be consequential, and that it would be beneficial to, to kind of run that show early on. However, very few people, I think, are thinking about this. But when they are, you're saying the concerns are profit rather than existential risk. Can you make that argument compelling for the listeners? In other words, what what we should be worried about existentially.
1: Just in terms of understanding how the future unfolds after that point, we have no way of predicting what's going to happen and we are not in control right now. So when you train a neural network, for example, you have very little understanding of how exactly it makes its decisions. And any type of testing happens with existing data in uh, narrow domains usually. if you have novel data in novel domains, you have no idea how the algorithm will behave. And those are again very narrow systems and narrow domains. With the general intelligence performing in multiple domains, novel domains, including such things as self-improvement, engineering, science, you have zero predictive power in terms of what it's going to do. You can give it specific goals, and again, a lot of times people just go maximize my stock portfolio value or something like that. But even that can be accomplished in so many ways you didn't consider. Like, for example, causing a global pandemic and shorting the market takes about twenty minutes for something like that, and it's a yeah. very profitable
0: approach. It could very well be. So the the general idea is: look, we won't at a certain threshold, we'll have no idea how to control it. Does that mean? Uh, And you don't seem to be arguing for this, but I know some people have. Does that mean that we should be avoiding crossing the threshold of general intelligence in general? Or do you believe it's either inevitable or preferable despite this risk? I don't see a way to stop it from happening,
1: but also I think it would be very dangerous to do so right now without safety mechanisms in place. We need more time. We need to figure out if a problem is solvable. And if it's solvable, how to solve it? And if it's not
0: solvable, what's our plan B? What do we do now? And the plan B would be some other approach to the progression of technology and, and humanity minus artificial general intelligence or super intelligence. So we have
1: thousands of people thinking about the impact of setting particular minimum wage or something trivial like that, and they can't figure it out and they disagree. There is like two people in the world thinking about this much more serious problem, and we need more time. We need more people.
0: We need to try a little harder. Yeah, and to your point, though, we we can't get on the same page about whether minimum wage should be, you know, seven twenty-five or you know, ten twenty-five. So I I gotta tell you, I feel a little bit of a twinge of pessimism in in considering when we would cross the. I feel like we're good. Let's push the button and birth the artificial general intelligence threshold too. For many people, it depends on their
1: position in life. If you are 90 years old, you're dying of cancer, what do you have to lose, right? You press the button. If you're young, you have your whole future ahead of you, you'll be more careful, hopefully.
0: Interesting. Uh, You know, I don't think anybody's ever brought that up. So I've often heard it framed as, well, if you work for one of these firms that is potentially birthing said thing, and you might have your X minutes of glory, who who knows how long any semblance of control would be possible past a certain threshold. You know, your supposition and mine as well is that it may not be all that long, but maybe there's a, you know, people have done some pretty wacky things to feel prominent, Roman, pretty dangerous, wacky things to gain prominence, right? They have forwarded absolutely baseless and false scientific ideas to ensure that they have a place in Encyclopedia Britannica. They've, you know, blown themselves up in buildings. They have, I mean, people have done all kinds of wacky stuff to ensure the shimmering remains of their name in time so that, that there's a motive there which I see as meaningful you're actually talking about relative risk reward if you're 90 well maybe it'll make life better and find a way to keep me from dying if you're 20 maybe you say not this is actually quite curious i've never heard anybody say that i'm,
1: I'm sure 40 you know. so i'm right in the middle I don't yeah know you says. don't
0: you don't know how you feel right now <laughs> so all right let me see if i can wrap this up you you brought up one point that i'm going to dive into and have you really articulate as is a closing note which was You know, I think we really, you know, this is is the reality we find ourselves in. You talked about kind of the catch-22 of how hard it's going to be. I think it was something akin to we don't really want the nanny state and we might not even be able to govern and keep track of and ensure transparency of this stuff in the first place. But nonetheless, this tech might come about. I want people to think about it. This was your supposition. If you could frame the core problem and what you would hope people could think more ardently about, if we have any shot of surviving this trajectory. Um, How would you nutshell that?
1: So the difference is, as always, conservatives versus progressives. Do we want to move forward and kind of go beyond humanity to a more advanced intelligence, which will make a lot of decisions for us? Or do we want to preserve what we have, keep the state as it is, and uh, just do the best we can with the tools we have? And the impact on the future would be Tremendous. You can't compare it to anything else. You switch who is in control to a completely different set of agents with different values, different goals. Or even if we manage to align them with our current goals, it's not obvious what they are. We don't agree how to code them in. So there is a lot more unsolved issues than uh, solved ones. Every time we publish a paper, it's not a paper about solutions. It's a paper about new problems we discovered. Every time we zoom in, it's like a fractal. There is 10 new
0: problems we didn't know about, and it's just never-ending fractal zoom. Yeah, so is is the takeaway, we should maybe determine which of those fractals might be handleable to help reduce small amounts of risk?
1: It helps if we can solve some problems, and people working in Nairobi I definitely do great job with that, and I'm very happy there is a lot of effort and in person, those problems. So, at least we know in very near term we are doing well. But uh, long term, we don't have enough knowledge, enough resources, enough people. And that's a bigger, more interesting problem, in my opinion.
0: Yep. Well, uh, I suspect that as AI becomes more powerful, there will be more people thinking about the distant future. And if anybody's tuned in now and the trajectory of intelligence beyond humans feels just completely willy nilly, Listen to this again in 15 years and see how important this is, relatively speaking, on the political spectrum. I have a feeling it'll be a little bit more mainstream by that point. Roman, I know that's all we have for time. Thanks so much for joining us on the interview. Thanks for inviting me. So that's... That's all for this episode of the AI Futures series this week. Next week, we're going to be getting into episode 7 of 12. We're going to be moving farther and farther towards artificial general intelligence, looking at how we can govern something that's potentially vastly more capable than people, or at least initially as capable as people in many different specific domains. So be sure to stay tuned next Saturday if you've enjoyed this series. I'd love to know your thoughts on this series. In fact, we're considering spinning this off as its own podcast. I'm considering maybe you know, airing it in a little bit of a different way in a different format. But ultimately, it's going to be your ideas that really dictate what we do. I always listen to our listeners before I come up with my own thoughts. So share your thoughts on what you've thought about this AI Future series. You can go to emerj.com slash P-O-D-3. That's pod and then the number three. And it's literally a two-question it's not a survey. It's like a form, a two-question form to essentially share your thoughts as to what you'd like to see us do with this series. Do you want to see it spun off as a separate thing? Do you kind of like it on the weekend? Do you not like it on the weekend? Is it too different from the normal business cadence? I really see my job here in this series is stretching folks who are considering the near-term implications of AI to get them to think a little bit more about the longer term. That's really the goal. Do you like that? Do you not like that? Again, we've gotten a couple great forum responses thus far, and uh, my aim is to collect as many as I can so that by the time this 12-part series is over, um, I know how to carry this uh, same series and the same thread forward for you guys to make it as useful as possible. So that's emerj.com slash P-O-D-3, literally just a two-question form. You know, fill it out if you'd like to contribute your thoughts. They always mean a lot to me and mean a lot to the team. So that's all for this episode. We're going to be diving back into AI use cases here on the AI and Business Podcast this coming Tuesday. So make sure to stay tuned and I'll catch you then.